We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to episode 216 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, The Guardian, the man who is never in preseason form, even though we pushed the podcast to Thursday this week to get a few more rest days in. How's it going, Frances? Hola, Gules. Well, it's going well. It's going well. Um, I think that um, it was a good move to move the podcast back because um, we've got some hot news coming from Barcelona basically this morning. Um, obviously, there's still confirmation to, to be had on what we're about to explain. But no, it's, uh, it's a good day. It's closer to the weekend. I mean, I live in Doha in, in the Middle East and the weekend literally just started. It's, it's Thursday now. So, yeah, very, very excited. Did anything important happen today, Dan? Uh, not that I can think of at all, but today we are definitely talking about the preseason. Oh, and, and then the vote of them confidence collecting and the signatures. So I think that's actually where we are going to start, as you mentioned. Not that we put off the podcast for all of those reasons, but since the last time you spoke to us, there's been two preseason matches. We've got to look at what Ronald Coleman, his ideas, and again, we're going to talk about all of that and everything happening on the field and where the team is at the moment. But first, again, we begin with this vote of no confidence and the group by Jody Ferre and Victor Font that had been collecting signatures in the last week since you last heard us at a rapid pace. And it seems like at present time, when you have this in your ears, that about 19,000 signatures have been collected around Catalonia and all those other box and offices around Europe and potentially around some of the other locations as well. And enough signatures have been collected that if approved by the club, because that is the very next step to have those approved at club headquarters, to then send this to the referendum that goes to all socios, which is about 154,000 members or voters, and for the board to resign immediately if two-thirds of those socios that do vote do vote for the board to resign immediately and an election be called. So again, that's two-thirds of that number must say vote yes for the most to censure. So enough appropriate signatures have apparently been collected, and that is where we stand now. And Frances, I think the first reaction I have to this is when you look at the other voted no confidence that we've seen lately, whether it was 2008 against Juan Laporta, whether it was 2017 and Augusto Benedito's vote of no confidence where he didn't collect enough signatures, those were done when there were people at the stadium, when there were people going to the camp No. And these signatures were collected during a pandemic. And I think that tells you night and day the difference and the intent and how the socios really feel about Bartomeu at the moment. Yeah, for sure. I think that the 8-2 defeat against Bayern also really did help. There's no two ways about it. These both have destroyed the club um, slowly but surely. Not, not necessarily by making one huge mistake. And, uh, you know, then the consequences of that one is just... What I, what I always call like shooting your own leg and uh, there's been progressively 
the neglect of the first team, the social instability in the club, that obviously we haven't really seen that much in the last six months because obviously the pandemic has happened and there's no fans in the stadium. But if the stadium had been full, then there would have been pañoladas, there would have been you know waving handkerchiefs against against Bartomeu on the board, but obviously that, that has not happened. Um, the self-destruction and the inability now at, at economic level, we're not able to sign players um, anymore, really, not at the caliber that we used to sign um, even three, four years ago, even. The, there's been a lot of neglect in terms of squad management. Um, it looks like uh, what Kuman is showing us in the first couple of games is a little bit more encouraging. But throughout the last three, four years, uh, the, the squad has just gotten really, really old. The board has shown the inability to, to shift those that basically don't really serve the club at the highest of their, of their level anymore. Um, out of the club. I mean, we're seeing it now with Luis Suarez, uh, we're seeing it now with Vidal, for example, um, etc., etc. I'm sure we'll get to that later. But overall, Bartomeu has not done very well at all, and that's putting it mildly. To be honest, I am surprised that so many socios have actually gotten off their backsides and actually gone to, to sign this. Um, during the pandemic and also, as you said, that there's no come, no matches. I didn't think it was going to be possible, but, you know, it looks like there's enough socios who care now that actually, you know, they, they won't change at the club. And the last uh, Museo de Sansura that was actually successful was back in 2003. So 17 years on and the socios has finally woken up and, and done something about it. Um, credit to the people that started the motion, um, obviously Jordi Farré, Victor Fon, and all the different um, you know, spearheads that have moved this forward. This official confirmation needs to be had, as you said, but normally, in my experience, there's around two to 300 votes that go astray uh, because of you know, people ticking outside the box. Checks not being properly done once you're checking against the, you know, the saucy cloud, the, the number of, um, of members that they've got, because that's what they check for when they're verifying. Uh, but, you know, if they got 18, 19,000, then obviously they're laughing. So let's just see what, what happens next. But the fact that we're even talking about it now, to me, is surprising. Not necessarily because Bartomeu's board didn't deserve it, because they did. It's just the fact that actually enough people mobilized themselves to, given the situation. So, um, yeah, very surprised, but happy. I, I think my skepticism was not the intent of why people would want it to be passed or why people would want to put their signature attached to this. But the fact was, because of the current global crisis and the way that it's affected the will of the people, collecting a, enough signatures, that being 16,500, was always going to be a big challenge during a pandemic. And clearly enough socios prior to this wanted to bring it to a referendum, but and unlike 2017, but Spain's rule to limit gatherings to 10 people or fewer definitely was going to make it a logistical nightmare. And again, a lot of credit to the group that collected these signatures and got this all together. And I, I think it is telling as well, uh, after Bartomeu's regime is over, the way we're going to look at this is he won a treble in 2015. And then I think the compliment kind of ends there. And that treble we've mentioned and, and pointed to that being a big reason why in 2017, this all wasn't broken apart during Benedito's vote of no confidence. But it is interesting to me that it was the Bayern 8-2. And then obviously, I think Messi's interview with goal does matter. Uh, the way that we saw, even though it was only a few fans outside the camp, no protesting and they had the sign, Bartomeu out, um, and we saw a few of those images and people mentioning that if Messi is going to turn on Bartomeu, then you know the club and every all supporters would like to side with Messi and not want to watch, uh, as we've been talking about, Bartomeu force Messi out of the club. And we're not going to rehash that and go into that, that again. But the point is, I think the Messi debacle plus Bayern winds up being the thing that gets this over the line, which is interesting just because you look at all the other things when you're talking about the Neymar and Sander Rosell did serve time for this, is that the Neymar business outside in the courts, outside of football, and you talk about the i3 ventures and the social media campaign potentially against some of those important figures that the club has ever had. And you look at just the piling and piling and piling on as far down as when Mateus Fernandez, again, no disrespect to this player because he's currently injured or Gustavo Mai of Barca B at the moment. And we've talked about Douglas, but these Brazilian commissions and you talk about other times when presidents might have your wage your eyebrows about that kind of business. But as far as Bartomeu's rap sheet, that is what 
11, 12, 13th, 14th, 15th most important reason why Socio would go, I don't think this guy is right for the job. So Bartomeu's time clearly has ended, and it seems like while well, he said, hey, we got a global pandemic, give me till March, we'll figure this out, it'll be a transition of power, uh, the Socios are speaking, and we're going to see if they have that final voice to, again, get this over the line. And it's interesting to me that in this preseason, which we're about to talk about next, that in this preseason, Frances, the socios have still said, I know we have a new coach. I don't know how many socios are happy about Ronald Coleman, but again, we have a new coach. He's a legend of the club. That's fine. Messi stayed. Things are happening on the field. But again, without people going to the stadium, almost like falling for winning again, I think preseason is the time where this has actually even hurt Bartomeu, that the rest of the league has begun. And Bartomeu's, I mean, and Barcelona's matches don't matter yet. And so socios are not finding something to get excited about just yet because the preseason is fun, but it doesn't mean that results are there yet. And the lack of results because it's a preseason, I think, is the, the final point as to why socios were so motivated at this moment and didn't feel like the club is in a good spot, regardless of where they are in the preseason. For sure. And, and the other point that I want to bring up as well is that, you know, as exciting as, you know, and it's not really too exciting, but there are, there are things that are happening well and there are things that are, you know, seem to be going the right way on the field, which is which is great. But I think that when you look at Bartomeu's legacy, he's not going to be leaving the club in Ronald Koeman's hands and having like Pedri and Trincao and Ricky Puig, you know, coming forward, which obviously I think is more of a, I think it's more of a consequence of fate. I think it's more of a consequence of things that, you know, were working, not being too broken. So when you said before about the treble in 2015, I mean, there were more ligas in there. I think it's eight out of 12 uh, over the last 12 years, which is which is remarkable. But the thing is, we need to remember this is not happened because Bartomeu was the chairman. This happened in, despite the fact that Bartomeu was the chairman, you know, because that could have been easily continued, that this regeneration that we're beginning to see the glimpses of now, um, could have happened two, three years ago, and it would have been patched in a way that you wouldn't really see such a change. It should have been more gradual. It should have been more, much more progressive. And the last point I want to mention on on the Museo de Sansura is that you know moving forward, once the signatures are validated, which you know if they go 19,000, I don't doubt they will be at least you know the enough enough number for this to to move forward. Getting two thirds of sources voting against Bartomeu is going to be quite challenging as well. You know, because 66% is a, is a very high number of anything. So uh, it remains to be seen if he's actually going to be uh, dethroned at this stage or he will actually stay until March. I think that the, the biggest hurdle, without a doubt, is getting, in my eyes, is getting the, the signatures at this stage. And that seems to have been achieved. But, you know, you cannot underestimate that 66% of sources is a lot of people. So um, we will have to wait and see what happens with that one. Yep. Well, I think our listeners have waited long enough for us to talk about the actual matches, the actual team, the actual preseason, and we're going to hit that right after this break. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com podcast. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football, that is American football, is back. You may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Frances, so time to talk some preseason. 
already Barcelona 2-3-1 wins, one over Nastique and one over Girona. So that is a Segunda Division Bay side, and that is a second division side in Girona, and two fellow Catalan sides as well. And I think the question we're asking really today, and we're going to go through a bunch of different players, is who impressed? And the player I want to start with here is the player that's continually and always will dominate the media cycle for good reason. Messi was kind of rusty in game one, but then you look at Messi in game two, he had that brace, he had that galazza with his right foot. Is there anything more to say about Messi, Frances? Because I feel like Saying anything more about Messi's performances and considering it's anything more than him being committed to the project and working hard and being a part of this and having this whole crisis, not behind us, because he still feels the things he feels, but just knowing that he's going to give his best because he's on the field, because he's playing for that crest and he plays for the club. And I don't think that you need to psychoanalyze every little thing happening on the field to Messi. I just think he shook off one match of rust. And is there anything more there? Yeah, I'd say I'd say there isn't really in terms of uh, on the pitch performance, but I think that it is remarkable to see that you know it didn't take him long to to get together, um, get his act together, get his head together in the right place, and actually start doing what he does best on the pitch. Um, obviously, getting used to a new system is not going to be easy, uh, but you know. Messi is the system, really. Uh, it doesn't matter what formation you play. Messi is always going to be central to whatever Barca does because, you know, if Kuman is going with a 4-2-3-1, which I think is, is quite solid at this stage that he will be doing that, the whole system revolves up whatever Messi does, especially the four up front. I mean, if you put um, Messi on the right wing, then maybe Griezmann, Coutinho, maybe Ricky, Ansu have got a chance on the other side. If you get Messi to be the one behind the main striker, then Dembele may have a shout for the starting eleven. Um, but if you put Messi up front for the striker, then a lot of um, a lot of other players will have to reposition. So I think the important part uh, after all this is that Messi actually did stay. My opinion about whether he should stay or go, or be allowed to stay or be allowed to go, uh, that was mentioned two or three podcasts ago. So you can go back and, and re-listen to those if, if need be. But I'm not going to go into that anymore. I think that now that he's staying, we need to trust that he's going to be the leader of on the pitch, like he has been um, doing his talking, not necessarily with words, but with his feet on the pitch. And uh, I think that it's important that, that we leave it in there. But I think it is, it is great to have him back. Well, it's interesting you mentioned him on the right or him up top because it's not where he's been. The two preseason matches he played in the middle of that forward three behind Griezmann, the striker, he and Griezmann both started both the matches. And then in the first game, it was Pedri on the right and Dembele on the left. And then in the second match to start, it was Trincao on the right and it was Coutinho on the left. And so to have him in that front three behind the striker, I think it answered questions. I mean, Coutinho did come off the bench in that second half and play in that position. And I thought, we'll get to Coutinho in a second. I thought he was better there than he was on the left wing. Duh. But again, we'll get to that in a second. Now, the player I think this most affects as we're basically continuing through the squad answering some of these big questions is that Ricky Puj, where we had initially put him at that position potentially if Messi was going to play as the number nine and where was that going to put Griezmann? Was that going to put him on the left wing? But now we see that Ricky Puj is going to have to adapt and learn a position. And interesting to note, because Ricky Puj through his time in La Masia when he came over uh, in, I believe it was 2015, 2016 or 2016. He originally was a false nine, almost as a Cesc Fabricas for Spain. It's kind of what that looked like. He could put in a few goals, but then as he progressed through La Masia and then Pimienta in particular, moved him back as a central midfielder. And now he's going to take another step back on the field and to be a part of that double pivot. And we know with Ronald Koeman that Frankie de Jong is going to be the starter. He's going to be the double pivot that then steps back and helps the three center backs. We saw that more against Girona than we did even against Nastique. And we see that De Jong is going to partner with most likely Pionic, but a lot of Busquets as well. So then that leaves Ricky Puj and Carlos Lanya fighting for that fourth and fifth spots on the depth chart at those positions. And it is interesting because you have Messi playing in that front three, basically. And we talked about Messi being a midfielder long term. And it's interesting because offensively, maybe you imagine him as such as being almost that tip of the, the front three, but he's much farther forward and there is a responsibility on that double pivot. And I thought Puj and Alanya have been really good. They've earned minutes, but it's just there's so much depth now when you only have those two double pivot spots and, and Messi taking the responsibility offensively from that midfield spot. But 
defensively, it's interesting to note that Griezmann is the one who, whoever is at center forward, they do drop in, and then Messi is the farthest forward up top defending. Not really pressing so much, but doing a bit of pressing, and as I was kind of mentioning about what Bayern Munich does so well, he, we see defensively, Messi is just trying to channel the ball out to the wings, because you have proper wingers, we've seen now Dembele, and even Pedri is comfortable in the wing, Trincao, and you see those actual wingers are pressing and, put, and trying to turn the ball over on the sides, on the flanks, where I think it's smarter to... You see that teams with good defensive structures in a 4-2-3-1, that's where they're turning opponents over. But the question then remains, Frances, with Puj and Alanya, will there be enough minutes to go around if, again, you have five players all deserving of time at two positions? That's a very good question, and I think the answer is no. Not, not enough time to see the growth that um, we would have seen if the 4-3-3 had been implemented, in my eyes. Um, I think it's quite clear that the young will start, which you've mentioned. I think it's really clear as well that Pjanic will be the other starter. Um, I don't think Busquets will be a starter for the big, big matches. But obviously, Busquets, because of his quality, really, and, and his, his, not necessarily his stamina anymore, but because of his status within the dressing room, because of his experience, I think Busquets is going to get a ton of minutes as well, maybe not necessarily as a, as a fixed starting eleven like he's been the last 12, 13 years. So that leaves Ricky Puch and Alanya, in my eyes, at the same position, based on what I've seen in preseason. Um, I am disappointed, actually, that Ricky has not been played further up because I think that further up, he's much, much more effective. Also, um, the Catalan radio yesterday were saying as well that that is not a position that Ricky Puch has played in at all. Um, you've got people like Xavi, Pep, uh, Pep Guardiola, obviously, Sergi Roberto even, and obviously Busquets himself, that have played at that position. So um, I think Ricky Puch's quality is going to allow him to do a good job there. I think he's, he's very little, isn't he? But I think his physicality in terms of stamina, in terms of willingness, in terms of his, his acceleration moving forward, I think that that's, that's superb, to be honest. And also his um, determination to get the ball back and, and he's not scared of tackling, etc. I think all of those skills are really going to help him get some more minutes than Alanya in my eyes. So for me, for the double pivot, which obviously double means two, the young and pianic start, then Busquets, then Ricky Puch then Alanya, and obviously another point that we're not even mentioning, we haven't mentioned in the last two, three weeks in the podcast, Rafinha wasn't even called up, so I think Rafinha's door is wide open to leave, and uh, to be honest, given those those fights quality, rightly so in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Coleman not only had Rafinha, uh, Tadibo, Pjanic, the players who either weren't called, or NTT as well, who are out of the out of his plans or still recovering, that being Pjanic and maybe Tadibo, but we don't think so. Those players actually had to do a training session after the match against Girona, which I think people actually like to see that, that they like to see the managers pushing them. But all that said is that the club still has so, so, so much work to do as his vote of confidence is happening in the background that you thought that getting rid of Rakitic and Vidal, that was steps one and two. But if anything, that was easier. Now, we're going to get to Luis Suarez in a bit. But we have to remember, too, that this squad might be just almost left with players that because of the pandemic and the prices that Barca are asking for, they might not even be got rid of. So they're going to have some issues on their hands. But again, there's still now two and a half weeks. And that feels like a long time, but no time at all. Now, the good news for Barcelona, a lot less credit to Bartomeu than it is to any squirrel who finds the nut. And I'm, again, not making the pun or joke about Jordi Alba, uh, because I think he has looked like a tired and older squirrel in the preseason. That's all I can say about Jordi Alba. But one of the younger, hungrier squirrels on the field is Trincao. And the reason I bring him up is because he started against Girona. Maybe it's most fresh in my mind. But Trincao, to me, I watched him play against Braga. I probably watched six or eight matches. And I thought that he defensively was there with it. He was going to have to work on his positioning. I thought that he was okay with the pass, that he, he could be a little bit better. His control looked fine. And he was good in one-on-one battles going against defenders. And you knew that he would have a little bit of unbalance. But for me, Francesc, Trincao, just looking at what he did against Braga, it's interesting. This is uh, something about a lot of the new players that Barca have now this season, that their teammates are now better. They have improved teammates, and they look better. So Trincao's close control with the ball, I have been really impressed at how much better it looks with Braga or his combinations with teammates look so much better. Yes, he has the assist on Coutinho, but just to the way he makes that run. And I mentioned in the YouTube review of that match against Girona that in the first two minutes, when Sergio Roberto or when Araujo, PK to Araujo to Roberto, and that ball is circulating along the back line as Coma wants to build up from the back, Trincao in the same 
we'll say fourth of the field or third of the field, if we're really doing the Pep Guardiola methodology here, that as the ball's rotating over to Roberto as the right back, Trincao in the same plane of the field is making, tries to make deep runs in behind the defense. And I can tell you a same flank long ball that Roberto was expected, I think going to be expected to play to Trincao is not something that we have seen for a while. Because you think about Luis Suarez, Griezmann, Messi, I mean, you can count Coutinho, and we have not seen any forward for Barcelona recently, especially when they played that 4-4-2, duh, or Arturo Vidal on the time that he was on the wing. None of those players that I mentioned, as much as they could have, none of those players would make a same flank deep run in behind the defense because the guys I mentioned are not 20. And they don't have legs for days, and Trincao is also pretty tall, so he gets good range, he gets long strides, and he can beat a defender a little bit easier in that way. So there's guys who may be quicker, but he also has the ability to basically make those long 30 to 40-yard sprints, and we're seeing that it's changing tactics already. So for me, Trincao, I was wondering how many minutes he would get, and you, you had mentioned, I think it was either last week or the week before, that he had eight goals for Braga last year, and we can't expect him to do the same. I agree with you. I think there's going to be a question mark in his goal scoring. But with the way the squad is built and the job of the wingers under Coleman, I don't think he's going to have the job of scoring goals. You can let, and same, I guess the same thing with Griezmann, but we'll get to him in a second. But if Messi scores all the goals, that's fine because Barca are winning and they're scoring goals. So if Trincao's job isn't to score goals, that's fine. But if his job is to stretch out a defense and to make dangerous runs and to pick up some assists, I think he is checking all those boxes. And I've been... Uh, as I said, I think he was going to be a really good transcendent player, but I was willing to be patient. But I think he looks a little more ahead of schedule than I thought. Yes, and that is great, great news. Um, also, he's already attracted interest, several offers for him as well, uh, mainly from England to actually get him off our hands already. Um, we signed him for 30 million euros and there's offers in the region of 40, 50 and even 60 million euros for him. Uh, but based on what we are seeing and based on obviously what we saw when he was playing in Portugal, not necessarily just for his club, but also for the under-17s team, especially that's when I watched it, um, I'm very happily surprised, to be honest. Uh, I always knew that he was going to be a good player, but I think that, as you're saying, he is showing more quicker than most anticipated, certainly myself, so, so I'm really happy for that. Um, he's a very physical player. He's speedy. He's hungry. He's young. He's, he's what we've been sort of shouting <laughs> into the microphone for for the last four years yeah um, he's give, gifted with his feet he can play with both feet as well if needed which is very very important um, he's got great control um, he knows exactly what to do with the ball on his feet he can run with it as well which is crucial um, he's a different player than what the ones we have I mean he's a pure winger you know, he's a pure winger very differently from the way that Dembele is a pure winger you know Dembele is, is much more of a speedy and I'm gonna keep going and if I can pass the ball at the end, great. If I cannot, then so be it, because I'll eventually get it right, sort of thing. Um, Trincao, in my eyes, is a much more intelligent player. Um, he's unashamed. He's not, um, you know, the hierarchies that I always keep talking about. He's not scared to be playing alongside Messi, alongside uh, all the greats in the Barca squad. That obviously, he's, the guy is really, really young. He would have been playing with these guys on FIFA for the last 10 years. And uh, no, he's playing alongside them and uh, he's making an impact. He's adapted very quickly. Obviously, we still haven't seen much, really, to be honest. Right. But um, once the La Liga starts, I think that you know he's going to be coming on, even even from the bench or you know in, against sort of lesser players. I think he could even be a starter, to be honest. And um, yeah, I really like his deep runs. I like the way that he can weave through passes through the rival defense. I love the way that he can run behind, as you mentioned, and uh, he can play the ball on the floor to someone who's close to him, and he can also lob the ball behind the defenders, which is something that we still haven't seen, but Messi loves to get in the end of, and or, or, or just start them himself. So, um, very impressed. I think that without a doubt, Trincao is the best news that Barca have had in the games against Nastic and Girona. Well, yeah, I think we're going to keep talking about wingers here, because I think that's the position that, because Barca have not been really playing, I mean, honestly, other than Ansu Fati, they have not been playing wingers now for about two years. And part of that is because Dembele has also been on the sideline. So I think all in one answer, I want to talk about Pedri, Dembele, Conrad de la Fuente. Uh, we're just kind of going to hit all those because for me, Pedri has also uh, not surprised because I did watch him with Las Palmas and he was much more influential to that squad. So I knew that he would have to 
change a, a little bit, but I think any fears about Pedri, because he's going to be low on the depth chart as a winger. He's also going to be, obviously, if he's going to play in the middle of that midfield three, as he did in the second half against Girona. Well, that's Messi's position, so he's not going to get a lot of time there either. But that said, I think his versatility allows him, because he can play both those spots and he can play across that, well, the front three behind the, the striker, that he can play on the left wing, he can play on the right wing, and he can play in the middle. And at the moment, I think he's better on the right wing or left wing is actually where he played for Las Palmas. But I think he is probably better to winger at this stage in his career just because he is 17, because he does have that pace to go at defenders at the moment. And he does like to have that ball that when he gets to the touchline, he's again got some pace to get to the touchline. Then he likes to cut it back to the top of the 18. So he does that have that have that ball that he likes to play. And then as far as his shooting prowess, again, that's something that's a work in progress. He's still young. I think he is one of those midfielders. We saw that he did score, I believe it was four goals or two goals, whatever it was for Las Palmas last year, that he's going to be able to kind of add that to his game over time. But at the moment, playing it in the middle of that midfield three, uh, yeah, I have questions against bigger, stronger, and more difficult opposition. But hey, Ricky Puj, we don't worry about his physicality anymore. And Pedri, I probably shouldn't do the, the, same, the, uh, the same thing. For Pedri, again, minutes are going to be hard to come by because of, I, don't, I wouldn't even say hierarchy. It's just the sheer number of players that are good on the wing. But I think that he has done enough to prove that he should be part of this rotation. But because of the Champions League, Barca are going to have a lot of the Liga matches very quickly at the start of the season, some coming on midweek. So I think Coleman is going to have to utilize the 22 to 24 players that are going to be in his plan. So I think Pedri has done enough, not even to get a start, but even with these five substitutes, that there will be minutes to go around. I think that's what calms my heart a little bit about all these young talents. That, And you mentioned hierarchy. That's what I want to bring up here, that it's not so much even to me that the players care about it, but because that hierarchy is broken a tad with the established experience players that on the wings you have Fati and if Fati coming back from injury and even when he is healthy Fati's still only 17 so I don't really sound the alarm bells when Fati starts on a bench or it comes off the bench in three straight matches or four straight matches this year because he is still 17 or he's gonna be 18 next month but rather still an 18 year old winger is fine if he comes off the bench regularly I just would get worried and we'd see this against Valverde or whoever it may be that when you see Fati not playing for four or five or six matches you go okay now you have an 18 year old not getting any match time and now the alarm bells are being rung the same thing is going to happen with Pedri if Pedri comes off the bench and plays 20 to 30 minutes in six straight matches I mean he's 17 until November so that's completely fine with me same thing Tinkao is only 20 and Dembele has been out for basically two years so if Dembele starts a bunch of matches from the bench and there is some kind of rotation on the wings that calms me just fine because the five subs at least on paper is going to allow Coleman to be able to give a lot of these players not only give them experience but they've proven that they might be able to help the first team but I'm not worried when they don't start because they're all able because of that hierarchy being broken on the wings that there isn't a guy that particularly needs all those minutes and I think it actually is a lot easier for the club now in that 4-2-3-1 to pencil Messi into that midfield three and put him behind the striker and just pencil him in for that position and say, yes, Coutinho, if Messi is missing, Coutinho will play in that spot. But Coutinho, you're going to kind of have to figure it out on the wing and everyone else and all these other young players, you guys can figure it out in the wing because that's Messi's spot. And I think that's actually a lot easier to have that just be Messi's spot and everything working around you because that does fundamentally change the way Barca plays. So I think that is an early positive sign for Coleman from me. Yes, um, you can mention it about Messi's spot. I really think that um, Messi will have any spot that is needed at whatever point. What I'm trying to say is that he's not a he's not a fixture. Like in in the game against Girona, for example, he started as a striker when we were defending, and then when we were attacking, he was drifting back. So I think that Kuman is trying to introduce sort of a carousel attacking three with maybe one of the wingers being more more a solid winger, if you want to call it that. Um, so I think that there's going to be a lot of playing time because of all the reasons you mentioned, but also because of the fact that, you know, we may start playing one way, but if opponents get wing of what Messi is likely to do, then he's going to have to be shifted either towards the, for, the front for the striking position or towards one of the wings. So I'm not sure that um, there won't be enough playing times for the others. What you said about Pedri, I agree. He's got more than enough quality to stay at the Barca squad. Um, I think that he's already proven enough uh, from Las Palmas, but in the first two, three weeks that he's been with us, he's shown, again, similar to Trincao, he doesn't always look for Messi. He's got quality of his own. He can make his own plays. 
Um, I agree with you that he's got more pace coming off the wings because that's his more natural position. Um, I think that he's got a lot of talent and class, and that's the sort of players we want. Um, and, you know, I think that he will get a lot of playing time in whatever position Messi doesn't occupy. Um, and obviously, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that very soon now, um, if Griezmann continues to do next to nothing or to basically generate very little, then it is really likely that Pedri, Trincao, Coutinho himself even, and I know we've mentioned about the double pivot, but I think that if he continues to do well uh, whenever he plays, Ricky Puig will actually have a, a chance in the sort of what we call the front four, the 3-1 at the end, because he's got more than enough experience in there and more than enough drive to to prove it as well. So um, I think that it is good that there is so much young talent. I think we need to be a little bit cautious not to compare any of these people to pick Ronaldinho or pick Rivaldo, you know. They need to be their own players. They need to be um, trusted. They need to be playing little bits of time here, there and everywhere. And if they get a start, then obviously they're going to get a, a much higher chunk. But I don't think we we need to start hyping these players too much. But obviously we need to call a spade a spade. And if they're doing well and they deserve to start or even get playing time, we need to say that as well. But I don't want us to get too hyped too soon. But obviously, we need to be realistic about the talent that these, these yeah, I was going to say these children, these young players have uh, moving on, which is very, very encouraging. Yeah, Frances, I mean, I agree with you. But what if I just hype a player up right now and kind of get off the reins? So because I think that's what I'm going to do. So instead of you decide to zig and I'm going to zag here and that the player that Coleman has actually been very impressed with is the American cough, cough. Conrad De La Fuente oh, is the, the one that Cohen mentioned by name. So here's the thing about Conrad De La Fuente, and this is what I've been saying for a long time. It's interesting to me that I'm going to be not calling out by name, but basically mentioning people that don't listen to this podcast at all, that I am involved in, we'll say, I do keep in the way that I care about La Masia. I do pay attention to a lot of youth international, is in the United States men's national team or youth, or youth USA players. I do keep my... My, my ear on the, on the floor and I try to listen for and hear what kind of talent is out there. And it's interesting to me because I think it has a lot to do with broadcasting rights and the fact that a lot of young Americans are both in England and Germany in the, in the Premier League or Championship system or they are in the Bundesliga or the two Bundesliga. So because of where American, young Americans are playing, the only other American I can think of who's in the league, I might be wrong here, but he's not in the league, he's just in Spain, is former Levante player, played for Rus as a time as well. He now plays for Tenerife, that's Shaq Moore. And so there really isn't much attention paid to Americans in Spain because historically Americans don't go to Spain. So now all that you ever hear pantomimed in at least the American soccer media is about how Conrad de la Fuente might be playing at Barcelona or here's what it is. But we know the path for Conrad de la Fuente, which for me, again, is so remarkable. And I'm not overhyping him. I'm saying that now, having cared about this name since he was 14, 15 years old, knowing that after Ben Lederman and the whole transfer thing and being basically missing years and having to leave the club in the way that he did that for Ben Lederman he was supposed to be that American that was going to play at Barca and again you're looking me who's been a fan of this team for 15 years I it, it matters to me I care to see an American player the someone that is from the same place that I'm from playing for FC Barcelona that's a big deal to me and you can't take that away from me but all that said so when Ben Lederman doesn't work out then Conrad de la Fuente is what 14 or 15 at the time and he becomes that okay Maybe this kid in a few years, and I'm being patient, being patient. Now, about two years ago, when he was playing for Hubenel Bay, Hubenel A, there was a lot of talented players around that 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 age group, and we're going to see with Barca B this year, that is a pretty good, talented, young class. Same thing with the Hubenel A's at the moment. That's a pretty young group as well. And I mentioned young, and you can say hi to your daughters in the background, Fred says, but again, they they, they do, it seems like, flock to the, that young group that is a really talented bunch. And for Conor De La Fente, he was just one of those names. And I really, if you had asked me two years ago, I just didn't see it. I saw him as a 17 of the U-20 World Cup a few years ago, and he was fine, but he was way too reliant on his right foot. I know he's a left winger, but he was way too reliant on his dominant foot. He didn't really have much of his left foot, and so when he had any defender, any outside back with any bit of defensive ability or technical skill, he would have some trouble with him. But the player we see now in preseason shows you, and we saw in the playoff at the end of last year for Barca B., we knew that Conrad de la Fuente was making a leap, taking a step forward and becoming a good enough player to play for Barca B this year. And we'll see what would happen in the future because he is still 19. But he has taken such a big jump. He just looks like so much different of a player. Defensively, his positioning is better. Again, he can take on defenders one-on-one because he's so much more confident with his weak foot. 
And he can also now, when he cuts in, his decision-making has improved where he can take a shot. His decision-making can also continue to improve. But the fact that he's gone from, I was considering that he would be out of the club a year and a half ago. And even in January, at the start of the summer, before he signed his contract extension or his renewal, rather, that he might be leaving, going to Germany, where every other young American tries to make it. From him going to a player that I figured would not be at the club anymore, even six months ago, to being a player that realistically this year could make between two and seven appearances for the first team based on injuries and depth and cup matches and all those things. So the fact that he really this season in the next few weeks could be when he makes his first team debut, I'm not overhyping him because making your first team debut for Barcelona does not mean you've had a successful career. But for these La Masia talents, and particularly for the first American ever to finally break through, that is a big deal. And I think that's where I'm going to stand on that, that that is a big deal. You are hyped. You are hyped yourself, and you're obviously hyping him up. Well, I know, um, but, I'm, but I'm not, though. Because I'm saying is like, I understand from your perspective, Conrad De La Fuente is just another player, and it doesn't matter to you. I'm saying that outside of the field, symbolically, I'm not calling him the next Messi. I'm saying that it is a big deal that, that finally, from this big country in America that is, has all these resources and doesn't really produce talent well, for them to finally have a player debut at Barcelona, that that is what matters, not necessarily that his talents and the fact that he's been just... The fact that he's improved is the other thing that I'm saying matters here. I'm not hyping him. I'm not saying he's good enough. I'm just saying that from my perspective, he matters. And I understand why he doesn't matter to you or why he shouldn't matter to you just yet. He does. He does. He does matter to me. I'm just I'm just very excited that you're that excited, to be honest. Um, (laughs) It's been a long time. I've waited 15 years for someone for someone who who enjoyed the same the, the stars and stripes like I do. I wait a long time. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, listen, from from my perspective, I'm happy that we've got a, a younger player coming through. Um, I don't really care whether they're from Tanzania or you know Iran or America or Sabadell. Doesn't make any difference to me. But all I all I want is just players that play the right way to to play for our club. And uh, obviously, I think that Conrad is, as you mentioned, very, very, very likely to make a debut for Barca. I think that um, there's never really been an American player that close to debuting for Barca's first team or even play for Barca's first team. And uh, I think from a marketing perspective, it is great for the club or it would be great for the club um, if he made his debut and actually established himself. But, you know, and there will be people, and you have no doubt about this, there will be people in the marketing department in either Bartomeu's board or whatever board comes after that they will be really looking at that and would say, right, you got a player that, you know, is from X place, and you've got Conrad, who is obviously from, from America, and he's got all these people behind him, and he's generating all these media attention, then you really want to prioritize the one that's going to give uh, Barca sort of a bigger platform. And, and I do understand that. But at the same time, everything has to be done on merit. Um, and and the, the, what I'm saying is that he actually has done this on merit. Um, I think that he's been very influential coming forward. I mean, he is playing as a winger. Um, I think that if he's going to establish himself at first team level, he may have to do it as a fullback. I don't know... Uh, if Kuman has thought about this, I don't know if anyone else ever has, but I think that, you know, given the, the names up front, given the quality up front, if he's going to play several minutes this year, it would be either as a late, late substitute um, coming on when everyone else is injured, which you've already mentioned, or actually reinventing himself and, and actually, you know, maybe take over Jordi Alba in the future. But obviously we are, as I said, we're looking at the future here. Um, long story got short, a, be- a very good player coming through the ranks, an intelligent player, a player that is physical, a player that can make a difference, and obviously a player who is American with everything that's behind. But I'm, I'm really happy for him, and I'm really happy for everyone who's happy for him as well, and especially yourself, because um, I haven't heard you that happy for many years. <laughs> I have my moments. I, I pick my moments. But, I mean, if you want me to, down, to be a Debbie Downer already, it seems like the Sergino Des, the other right back that I was really mentioning for Ajax, seems like he is on his way to Bayern Munich. That is almost over the line here. Borussia didn't have the money for him anyway. So I'm trying to just give you some American, for our U.S.-based listeners, trying to give you some American positivity on a day that is kind of disappointing because, again, I thought Sergino Des might have been a good fit. So just speaking of fit, we aren't going to talk about Coutinho and Griezmann. I think the jury is, we kind of mentioned that and skirted around it that uh, I'm going to give it a little bit more time. Again, they're going to have to be major influential players for the squad this year. So I think people have had their critiques of both those players. We have talked about that many, many times. And I'm just going to give that uh, maybe another week or two. We'll probably talk about it in a few short Can I jump days. in now, though, just just to say, because he's burning inside. Well, we'll keep Coutinho. it short and then we'll talk about Luis Suarez. But go ahead, Coutinho and Griezmann. 
So just to jump in there very quickly because he's burning inside, um, Coutinho doing better than expected, but still not at the level that he can justify his price tag. At the same time, however, we need to we need to understand and we need to in a way forget about how much money we pay for him because he's not valued at that anymore, and no one would ever pay that money for him again. Clearly, because no one has Griezmann. As I said before, disappointing, really. Um, not really making much impact. Not really associating the way that he should do. Um, I don't think he's got many more excuses that he could ever sort of tap into because he's pretty much playing his preferred position now. And he's still not, he's still not there. So let's give him a couple of weeks. But um, the, the, the starting couple of weeks have not impressed us. Right. I, I agree with that. So again, we'll see what happens there. The lo- final thing we're going to end the show with is what will happen with Luis Suarez. The jury is still out whether or not he will even be at the club in a few days or a few weeks. Uh, it seems like the only place he would move is Juventus. And I think I'm almost thinking of, well, what happens if he's supposed to take this Italian test uh, to get dual citizenship? So what happens if that doesn't go through? Or the more likely scenario, if uh, Dzeko from Roma is signed by Juventus, then it seems like they're going to move on. And the problem here is that Luis Suarez is asking for the final year of his wages uh, to be fulfilled. And a new club is not going to have to agree to pay that. And they're going to leave Luis Suarez with Barcelona. And the Basically, the question becomes, and I, I think the idea that he would sit in the sand like Gareth Bale isn't going to happen. So it is likely that Luis Suarez is still a Barcelona player come the end of the transfer window just because Barca cannot afford to get rid of him in the way that they were able to get rid of Rakitic and Vidal. So it, it is possible. I'm not saying likely. I mean, Frances, from what you're hearing, from what you're seeing, it's about, what, 50-50 that he could leave and he could stay, right? Possibly. I think it depends more of whether someone can actually pay him. Um, I think that he's well within his right to demand his last year of the contract because he signed it and he's entitled to it. Um, so I understand from a player's perspective why he would want it. Also, you know, he's a club legend. He's, um, you know, a third best goal scorer ever. And there's been a lot of players trying to score goals for Barca. So I think he does deserve that, that respect. But at the same time, um, I don't think he should stay. I think he should go. And I think that having Suarez in the dressing room, and, you know, we haven't seen him on the pitch, but obviously he's talking to Messi all the time. He's there going to training with Messi every day. Even if he's just sitting on the side in the dressing room with a sad, long face, that's not going to be very useful. So I think that um, he has to go. I think he has to go. I think if he comes to Barca paying his wage for the whole year, um, it w- it's obviously not my decision, but Kuman really should consider it because... What he could bring on for the team, say, if he stayed and come on for the last 10, 15, 20 minutes even, um, I don't think outweighs the negativity that his mere presence in the dressing room will cause. So I think that he has to go. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful for what he's done over the years. But at this moment in time, as a manager, if I was the manager, I wouldn't want him there. And I would be speaking to, my, to the club to be able to find him a, a solution for his future. I'm not going to say how much he should be paid, uh, but I think that, you know, if he's got a contract which is really, really heavy, really expensive, then uh, Barca need to find a solution to get him out. If his new club could pay, say, half the wages and Barca pay the other half, I think that would be a solution. But um, I'll just leave a <laughs> I'll just leave Bartomeu and his geniuses to sort that one out. But um, from a manager's perspective, I wouldn't want him there. So um, the solution needs to come. Well, that's the problem, is that there is no solution, right? I mean, I think Juventus would have been a solution, but Barca still had to figure out the wage situation, and it seems like they might have found something negotiated, but because of the global pandemic, again, we keep going back to this, that there aren't any clubs that can afford any players. And the reason why we praise Villarreal and their transfer window is because they seem to have got a lot of young talent. And the way I'll I'll end this is that this really is a worst-case scenario, not just because of Bartomeu, but because it took them so long coupled with a global pandemic, it's impossible or they're finding it to be very, very difficult to basically move not only Luis Suarez and Rakitic and Vidal on their high wages, but even finding buyers for Musawage and Umtiti and Rafinha and other clubs that might be willing to pay the salaries, at least take some of these players on loan. But they're even having a hard time, I think, finding loans because clubs are unwilling to pay these players' salaries because they just can't afford it. And finding those few clubs that can... You know, and that's why Bayern Munich, who've been so financially well run and have also benefited from getting a lot of free transfers from all these different players, whether it's Robert Lewandowski or uh, whoever it may be through the years, because they've got these free transfers and didn't pay those those staggering transfer fees so often, 
that they're able to, you know, when, when I said that, oh, this someone will be a race between Barcelona who have no money and Bayern Munich who have both a Champions League in the trophy case recently and some money and they've been better well run. Obviously, I understood who was going to win that race for Cedino Dest. I didn't want to tell myself in the mirror, but I knew who would win it all along. It's because Bayern Munich are just more well run and they have a, a, a lot more players. And the fact that Bayern Munich, you look at it, that they got something out of Coutinho that they didn't have to pay him. They didn't have to pay a transfer fee for him. They had to pay that loan fee, but he wound up being good enough for eight and a half million or whatever it was for one season. So it's just well-run business. And oh my gosh, Frances, we are going to end this show basically by completing our cycle. But I end this with I was frustration. That. Yeah, right. I that was about to say, I go, the cycle. Right, because I go, I go. Okay, so why am I so frustrated? And I go, well, what can change? And then you go, okay, well, there is a vote of no confidence with signatures. So I do, uh, you know, again, that helps me fall asleep. It seems like at night recently, and it seems like not only is change on the field. That's the other thing that the preseason does. It just it gives us hope, not because it's a new season, but because there actually are young talent coming through, breaking through. That isn't just Fati, because he really was the one and only one last season who was breaking through that looked bright, but we didn't even mention Ronald Araujo, who's also looked uh, to me very, very good in this preseason. So I just want to throw his name at the end of the show. Uh, you don't have anything to add on Araujo? Time to wrap up? No, 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 no. He's, he's been good. I think that um, he could establish himself as a challenger for the starting position, to be honest. Uh, I think that Lengle, as, you know, as terrible as they were, but it wasn't just them. Um, against Bayern Munich, I think that Lengle and Piquet should really be the starters this year unless we sign someone, which is realistically not going to happen. So all we can do now is just hope that the verification of the signaturas, uh, the signatures, actually go through and uh, then we can see a new president there soon calling the shots in a better way than Bartomeu has done, especially in the last four or five years. Yeah, everything seems to be changing and a lot is happening every single day. So that's why we almost held off the show, but we'll talk to you again Next week, after the Gamper Trophy, it's going to be a weird, eerie situation because the Gamper Trophy is the presentation of the squad to the crowd at the Camp Nou. So, obviously, that's not going to happen. So, we'll talk to you after the Juan Gamper Trophy against Elche. And then it's a whole week off, it seems like, unless they add another kind of match, which I don't think they will. And then they'll have Villarreal that next week. A a tough, tough Villarreal squad that looks rejuvenated, younger, better. They've had a good summer. So we'll see how that happens. It all shakes out. But again, we will talk to you before that. So we want to thank you today for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media too. You know the drill. On Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, our health and D13 for me. On Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tvpod.link backslash group for deeper dive discussions and all about. And on Patreon, you can continue to help us make these shows at tvpod.link backslash patreon we're also on youtube at the barcelona podcast that's why i've been having these match reviews and basically as long as we're still in lockdown and quarantine and i'm at home i'll continue to make those as long as i continue to see the matches so check us out there and hit that subscription button well thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time i'll talk to you soon force the barca, barca.